0: Church, today's reading is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, This is the living word of God for us today. Amen.
1: Go ahead and open your Bibles to the passage that Carthy just read. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. This is going to be our text for this morning, and I'm excited about it. It's a magnificent passage, and I want to set it up for you this way. We're going to do a short two-week series today and next week um, themed around why we gather. And we thought we would do that because this is the time of year that people tend to start gathering. They, they tend to come back from vacations, you know, schools are gathering, churches are gathering. It's also, from a larger perspective, a time where over the last 18 months, um, there have been periods of times that we were not able to physically gather. And so as we reflect on the last 18 months, and, and I know there's still a weirdness out there with Delta variant, and we don't know all these different kinds of things, but we, we thought we would take two weeks just to remind ourselves why it matters that we come together in a weekly rhythm as followers of Jesus, to be together physically. And I wanna name attention because right now I'm also looking at a camera and we still have some at home online watching or maybe in other places of the country around the world. And, and there's a sense that we're, that you're here with us. You know, you were glad that you're here too. But this morning, I really wanna talk about why it matters for the body of Christ to be embodied physically together. I wanna talk about why the physical gathering of the body of Christ is important. And so in this text that Carthy read for us beautifully, we have at least three reasons, and I'm gonna talk about each one. It's a magnificent text largely because it is redefining for the people of God what worship is all about. And so the first reason that we gather, obviously, is we gather to worship God. No surprise there. That's probably the answer that, that any, any of you would have given if I would have asked you, why do we come together on Sunday mornings? You'd probably say something about worship. We gather to worship God and you'd be exactly right. That's reason number one. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write, write that down and I'll, I'll have a summary slide at the end to recap these three reasons. But this is obviously a really huge deal, but let's talk about it. Up until Jesus, worshiping God only happened in one way and in one place. It happened at the temple in Jerusalem through animal sacrifice. Now, some of you are thinking, well, hold on a second. I understand that there was temple sacrifice going on, but you said that there was only one way and one place to worship God. That can't be right. Weren't people worshiping apart from the temple? Not in the technical biblical word worship. If you ask any Hebrew from the Old Testament days and even you know, in the first century, prior to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 by Rome, if you were to ask any Hebrew person, how do you worship? They would say, we go to the temple and offer a sacrifice. Is that the only way to worship, you'd say? Well, they'd say, well, we can pray to God, we can sing, we do all these other things, but they wouldn't have called that worship technically. So when we come together on Sunday mornings and we say, we're here to worship, that's a paradigm change from how the people of God worshiped for thousands of years, a thousand years from the time the first temple was built by Solomon until the time of Jesus Christ. You could not build another temple. There was one temple there was one place of sacrifice, there was one worship, and that was so significant because the Hebrew people understood the temple is the most sacred location on the earth. The temple, in a sense, is where heaven and earth overlap, where God's space, heaven, and human space, earth, intersect. The temple is the portal. That's the way that they understood it. And in a very true theological sense, the Spirit of God indwelled the temple. Now, we know God's presence is everywhere, but in a particular way, God's presence was at that temple and, and he was enthroned between, uh, uh, on the, the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Now, you would approach the temple as a worshiper the time before Jesus. And you know, I would imagine your heart would be beating quickly because you'd be realizing, I'm drawing closer and closer with every step to the very presence of the one true God. The Temple was physically built with a hierarchy of access to the presence of God. God himself was in the Holy of Holies at the center of the temple, but you could not just waltz into that room, oh no. Depending on your status, depending on your nationality, and yes, sadly to say, depending on your gender, you could only get so close. There were six layers The sixth layer was called the court of Gentiles. It was the furthest out from the Holy of Holies. It was an outdoor area, as most of these layers are. And just as you think it sounds, if you were a non-Jew, a Gentile person, you could only come into the court of Gentiles, the sixth layer out from the presence of God. The fifth layer was the court of women. You had to be Jew and you had to be a woman to be in that area, you were a non-jewish woman you could only come as far as the gentiles the fourth layer out was called uh the, the the court of israel this was for jewish men jewish men only even if you think about it jesus christ himself who was not a priest he was a rabbi but he was not a priest he could only have gone into the fourth layer out of the temple Interesting, you're still out, outdoors at this point in time. The third layer was called the court of priests, still outdoors. This is where the sacrifices were actually done. So I, I've got a picture here that we'll put on the screen um, and it'll connect in just a moment. There it is. So this is the court of priests. Now you notice there's the altar, that's where they would do the sacrifices. Maybe you'd never thought about the fact that not just anybody could go into that area, that, that uh, courtyard area where the, uh, the altar is. In fact, if you came just as a Jewish man or woman and you came to, to make a sacrifice, you couldn't go in yourself to the altar. You would hand your sacrifice to the priest in one of the outer courts. The priest then would take the animal in, would kill the animal, would um, uh, burn the animal, offer it on, on the, the altar and would, would cook the meat and then bring back the animal, the, the meat, and you would take that home and you would feast. That's how this worked. You could not have access that's just the third layer, the court of priests. Now, inside the sanctuary, which is the temple itself, the building, uh, there, there was an outer layer um, that was called the sanctuary. And let me show you a, a little illustration of what that might've looked like. It was a long, narrow corridor. And you, know, the, you, you see some um, you know, religious um, items there that, that God had instructed his people to put there. And that was layer two, the sanctuary. But in the inner sanctum, And that holy of holies it's what you see behind that curtain was the very presence of God. You see the Ark of Covenant. You see the the seraphim uh, there. And this was where God himself was enthroned. This illustration was drawn with the curtain open just so you can see what was behind the curtain, but the curtain was never opened. The point is it was shielded. So even if you were a priest, you could not go behind that curtain. There was only one human being at a time living on the earth that could go behind the curtain, the high priest. And he could only go one day a year, the day of atonement. And uh, they, they started the tradition where they would tie a rope around his waist in case he dropped dead in the presence of God. They could drag him out so that no one else had to go in. And so if you're the high priest, you would cleanse yourself before entering into the Holy of Holies. You would enter into the Holy of Holies on the day of atonement. And uh, you hope that you don't drop dead. This is what it meant to worship, to be near the presence of God, the holiness of God that was emphasized through this six layer hierarchy that God himself through the law of Moses instituted as a model for how to worship. Then you get to Hebrews. Let's look at our text again that Carthy read. Here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, temple reference, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened through us through the curtain, temple reference, through his flesh, since we have a great priest, temple reference, over the house of God, temple reference, let us draw near, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean, temple reference, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see all the temple references, but what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's just like inverting the script. He's turning everything upside down. He's saying there used to be all these hierarchical levels and only one person one day a year could go into the Holy of Holies, but now because the true curtain is the flesh of Jesus, which has been torn and broken for us, there is now full access to the presence of God. So therefore, let us draw near. There's the verb of our text. All that comes before is just the precursor to, therefore, let us draw near. And what we're doing when we worship God is drawing near through the blood of Jesus and the broken body of Jesus. Now, we casually say, We're here to worship God. Have you ever thought about drawing near to the presence of God is only possible because of what Jesus did. And this is the message. And and this changed everything. That the author of Hebrews, when he wrote this, he's saying Jesus Christ is the temple. That prior to Jesus... We, we, we only had a shadow of things that were to come, but now in Jesus, there's full access. The curtain has been torn in two, which by the way, literally happened when Jesus was crucified. And now there's full access. And not only is there access, but there's confidence. You can come in with confidence because through faith, not through works, your hearts have been sprinkled clean and your bodies have been washed with pure water. By the way, I love the fact that this text addresses the cleansing of our hearts and our bodies because we sin with both. And so we are washed clean, not through a ritual bath, which they did in that time before they would enter into the holy places. We're washed clean through faith, through putting our faith in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and before I move off this point, I just have to say, I know men and women and young men and women come in this room every week and you just feel so dirty inside. And if you're ever even conscious of the fact that you're, you're entering into a space where God's presence is, you would feel unworthy to be here because you feel so unclean. I want to encourage you this morning that the Spirit may be speaking to you through this text. And the voice of the Spirit through Hebrews 10 would say, look to Jesus for your cleansing. You can't wash yourself. You might have taken a shower this morning, but there's no way you can cleanse your heart. The cleansing that we have is not a physical activity. It's not a bunch of good works. It's not go straighten your life out and then you can get near to God. The cleansing that we have has been done by Jesus Christ and and, and it is imputed on us or placed on us through faith. Faith alone. And this is what this writer is saying and it changes everything. What this means for you, if you feel dirty in your heart, all you have to do is put your faith in the cleansing of Jesus Christ, that his death wasn't just for the world. Yes, that's true. His death was for you. And when you personally believe that, your heart is cleansed. And so you don't need to stumble in here feeling dirty. You can, stumble, you can come in with confidence and you can draw near to God with a true heart, the text says, in full assurance of faith because it's about Jesus, not about you. And so the first reason we gather on Sunday mornings is we gather to worship. And that is a big deal. It doesn't mean we just come to sing songs. Although next week, Carl Cartier, our worship pastor over worship at both campuses, is going to teach the message because we wanted him to teach on singing. You know, we devote almost half of every worship service to singing. And, you know, some of you love it. Others of you just tolerate it. But Carl's going to talk about the biblical reasons why we sing as an aspect of our worship. But worship is really about drawing near to God with hearts sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus and bodies washed with pure water so we can enter with confidence into the throne room of God. That's what worship is all about now. So the first reason we gather together on Sunday mornings is we gather to worship God together. We draw near to his presence. The second reason we gather together is to learn to follow Jesus to learn to follow Jesus, let's look at the next couple of verses in our text. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What is the confession of our hope? Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. The confession of our hope, the way this sentence is structured, points to he, points to Jesus who promised us and his promise is faithful. That's the confession of our hope. So the confession of our hope, in a sense, is a person, not a creed. We say the creed to verbally Proclaim faith in the person. So this morning, we set a creed together. By the way, those words from Colossians chapter one that we read corporately together, uh, many historians believe that might have been the very first creed. You know, it was written in a hymn form. It was likely spoken more than sung. It might've been sung as well, but the body of Christ has been gathering together to speak those same words since the very beginning. If you notice that creed was all about Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were made, all, you know, on and on and on and on and on. It's all about Jesus. He is the confession of our hope. And so when we come in on Sunday mornings, we'll sing songs about Jesus. We'll we'll sing songs about what we believe, you know. We'll, we we sang a song this morning as well, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And when you were singing those words, the reason why it matters to hear each other's voices is because it reminds all of us we're not alone in what we believe. Speaking and singing together, the words of our confession reinforce, reinforces to our own hearts and to those around us what is true in the world and what is true about us. So it's not for entertainment value. I mean, we have incredible musicians on this stage. There's no question about that. It's one of the blessings of living in this area. But guys, this is not entertainment value that we come. You know, it's one of the reasons why I'm conflicted inside, even like how the room is set up. And this is just kind of the model of church we're in and it maximizes space and it's efficient. But it sort sort of sets up this performer spectator paradigm that I would love to break. It's one of the reasons from time to time we worship in the round. You know, some of y'all come and you're like, oh man, I hate it when we do this. Well, one of the reasons we do this is because we're trying to make a point that the center of it is not what happens up here. Some of y'all are wondering, why don't we start doing the Lord's table every single week when it used to just be once a month or once every six weeks? It's because the center of our worship is not the teaching, it's not the music. The center of our worship is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected in our faith in him. So we gather to worship God, we gather to learn to follow Jesus together and remind ourselves what is true, who is true, and who we are in connection to him. I'm gonna go on. um, If I call it a soapbox, it, it will be a little too strong, but I do feel passionate about what I'm about to speak of. Your core value, if you're a Christian, I'm sorry, your core identity If you're a Christian, your core identity is follower of Jesus. Not biblically minded family values people. We are followers of Jesus. I hope we are biblically minded. I hope we do have biblical values, but our core identity is followers of Jesus. I'm gonna press this a little further to talk about why we teach the Bible the way we do here. The Bible here at Fellowship is a really big deal. You know, I like to joke, the Bible's in our middle name, Fellowship Bible Church, Why do we teach it expositionally? Why do we teach it with such care? I I know when I talk to many of you that have come to this church from other places, one of the first reasons you hear about why you're here is, well, we're looking for a church that really took God's word seriously and teaches God's word seriously. And we do that here and we absolutely do. So why do we do it here that way? I want you to know we teach the Bible the way we do, not because the Bible is the center of our faith but because the Bible points us to Jesus who is the center of our faith. I know that may seem like a a semantical distinction to some of you, but it really matters. The Bible teaches us how to be followers of Jesus, our core identity. The Bible teaches us how to obey everything I commanded, which is what Jesus said to his disciples, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything I commanded. How do we know what to obey? The Bible. By the way, we teach the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, because the Old Testament points us to Jesus just like the New Testament does. Also, the Old Testament was the Bible Jesus himself loved and obeyed, and the Old Testament law is the law that Jesus came to fulfill So Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the law. Every every letter matters of that Old Testament law. I haven't come to, to set it aside, but I did come to fulfill it. And so Jesus in John chapter one is described as the word made flesh. And Jesus in his resurrected body, when he was walking with those two men, you know, on the road to Emmaus, it says he was teaching them how all of the scriptures pointed to him. And so this is what you're going to find here at Fellowship. You're going to find expositional teaching, but expositional teaching that's always going to lead us to Jesus Christ. Because we're not here just to become better, smarter Bible people. We're here to become followers of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna find him, we're gonna encounter him, we're gonna learn what it means to obey him and be disciples of him through a disciplined, diligent, and yes, sometimes even academic study of the scriptures that he came to fulfill. So I think I can step down off of that, whatever that was, and and just say, this matters to us. I love God's word, but I don't ever want us to be a Bible-centered church as much as I want us to be a Jesus-centered church that teaches the Bible with love and passion and care because it matters to Jesus and it matters to us. Now, the idea of following Jesus continues in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stir up is a fascinating word in the, in the Greek. It's well translated into English because in the Greek, it's a provocative word. You don't stir up something gentle. Um, you stir up trouble. You stir up controversy. You stir up revolution. What kind of revolution are we called to stir up? Love. And good works. This is the revolution that Jesus started. And some of you, that that sounds maybe just soft to you or just hippie, you know, but Jesus wasn't a hippie. Not in the flower child or whatever kind of way that we think of hippie. But when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment of the scripture is, he says there, there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying all the commandments are summed up with the concept of love. And by the way, love, apart from that love being expressed through good works, actually isn't love. It's just the whispery feeling stuff. Love is... is Yes, it's an emotion, it's, it's a desire, it's, it's a thought, it's a, and it's a choice that all comes together as an expression of your heart. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So don't, don't mistake, there is a revolution that Jesus started. It's a revolution of God's love poured out on the earth through the person of Jesus. Now, you and I are many Jesuses. And collectively, we are the body of Jesus on this broken, fallen, wrestling, struggling planet. How will they know God's love if not through the body of Christ? They won't. So we are to be provoked. We are to stir one another up, provocative word to love, active love that is expressed through good works. And so we gather together to worship God, enter into the presence of the Holy One, We gather together to learn to follow Jesus. He's our core identity. And finally, we gather together to fellowship in the spirit. Fellowship in the spirit. Look at verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encouraging is another word I want to drill down into. It, 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 it's kind of weak in English. Um, I think of just putting my hand on someone's shoulders. Like, it's going to be okay. You know, God bless you. Um, not that those words have to be hollow, but sometimes they are. In the Greek, the word is parakaleo. It's a compound word to call alongside or to come alongside. It's an active word, not a passive word. So someone's struggling, you come alongside, you walk with them, you, you, you labor with them, you cry with them, you sweat with them if necessary. A friend of mine in the first service came up to me afterward and he said, man, when you were talking about kaleo, you know, coming alongside, I couldn't help but think of the marathon and the Olympics. And I didn't see it, he showed me a clip you know, the, the gold medalist was far away above the, the rest of the pack, but the next three were battling for the silver medal. And, and one of the guys in the three, he kind of slowed down a little bit and, and motioned for this other guy, come up. He's encourage him, encourage him, so, so that they, they could get the silver and the bronze medal. You know, that, that's a beautiful picture of coming alongside. It's like, we're weary, we're running together. I'm not just gonna call back and say, you can do it. I'm gonna motion you. I'm gonna come put my shoulder, my, my arm around your shoulder. I'm gonna walk with you. We're gonna cross this finish line together, you see, to call alongside. Now, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Did you know the name that Jesus gave to the Holy Spirit is the encourager? The same Greek root, but in a noun form. So Jesus is saying, if you're, One of my followers, the encourager is inside you and the the role of the Holy Spirit is to come alongside. And so when we gather together, the Holy Spirit in you and the Holy Spirit of of the body of Christ, the individual body, members of the body, all followers of Jesus that have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, it's like we're coming together and it's the Spirit coming together with the Spirit. And and Jesus said in, in Matthew 18, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Quick aside, Matthew 18 is about reconciling broken relationships. And that's where that verse appears. Two or more are gathered in my name. There I am among them. There's a principle here in resolving conflict as well as in other things, and other divisiveness, and other things. That when the Holy Spirit in me and the Holy Spirit in you get together and we yield to the Spirit, Jesus is embodied, Jesus is present in a way that we can't even see, but is real. Two other quick things on this verse before I start to land, land this and, and lead us to some application. Um, that, that the habit of some was to neglect meeting together and that was true 2000 years ago and that is true in 2021. Um, the, the habit of watching online in your pajama pants is pretty hard to break. You know, and I know um, some of you watching online now, you physically can't be here. You're other places, or you're not well, or there's good reasons why you're, you're not here. But I do want to say, without apology, if you can safely physically be here, and, and I know that does not apply to everyone, so please hear my words. I'm not speaking in judgment. If you can safely be with us physically, come. Your presence matters. And you might say, well, I don't know that many people and I don't even really talk to anyone necessarily. And, and I hope over time that it will change and, and you'll, you'll you know, be a more active part of this body and we wanna create steps for you to do that. But even if you came here in the in morning and you spoke to no one, your presence in here matters. The very presence of the Holy Spirit in you, in this room collectively, with the Holy Spirit in me, and then the rest of the followers of Jesus matters. You matter to be a part of this. And so it says here, we are to encourage one another. We are to come alongside. How do we do that? Well, yes, in groups, and Bible studies, But our primary rhythm is in this space, in this room. So let's do it. Let's come together. Let's be called alongside. And and part of what I believe the Spirit is doing through this text this morning, even in the words that I'm speaking, is he's calling us to come alongside each other. And it's interesting, he says, all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day is a reference to the return of Jesus Christ and the judgment of the earth. It's the, the restoration of all things, you know, it's, it's coming. And uh, maybe because of the uh, political context we've been in or the, the pandemic or whatever, I've had more people in the last 12 months come to me and say, do you think the end is coming near than I have, you know, in all my, my previous time as a pastor? And here's the answer that I'd give to that. I don't know. And neither do you, neither does anyone. However, however, we are called to live as if the end is near. We also know the first century Christians lived that way. And we are much closer to the day than they were. And, you know, we could talk about signs and what's happening with prophecy, and that's a very interesting conversation. And, and I, I think we are called to see things and, and let it increase our readiness. But I can't promise you that's going to happen in our lifetimes. I actually think it could. But we don't know, but we are to live in this way, as you see the day drawing near. So let us, because it's never been sooner than it is at this moment right, time, right now. So let us live. All the more, encourage one another, gather together, be physically embodied together, worship God together, learn to follow Jesus together. All the more as the day is drawing near because it's never been closer. That can have some kind of amen. I'll look to you for that, Luke. Come on. Oh, he's chuckling too much. I wanna hear it. Amen. Thank you, thank you, okay. It doesn't have to just be Luke. I had a guy come up to me after the first service. He's like, is it okay if I say amen at fellowship? I was like, yes. You know, bring it on if you wanna do that. Okay, why do we gather? I'm gonna wrap up. To worship God, to learn to follow Jesus, to fellowship in the spirit. As we plan our worship services, we take these things very seriously. In fact, our liturgy at fellowship, every church has a liturgy. Some are formal, some are informal. Our, Our liturgy at fellowship models these things. You, you can't see all this, but this is the, the software tool called Planning Center that we use. And every Sunday, there's gonna be four elements of our worship service. And we don't announce it, but I want you to see it because I want you to see our liturgy, our community, God's glory, God's word, our response. Sometimes we change the order up a little bit But our community is the fact that we are here to be a body. And so under our community this week with the announcements, introduce Lindsay to follow up on the the Counseling Center update email in a prayer for our body that I gave. Under God's glory, what did we do? Well, we sang the way, the Colossians Creed, this I believe. God's word is what we're doing right now. We had a scripture reading from Carthy and now I'm teaching and then we're about to respond because when God speaks to us, we always wanna to respond to what he says. So we're gonna respond through the Lord's Supper. We're gonna sing a little bit more and then I'll come up and send. Now, this happens behind the scenes, so to speak, but I wanted you to see it because our community is a part of this, like the, the fellowship of the spirit. We're gonna center everything around Jesus. He's the core. He's the, he's the embodied word of God. Glorifying God is what it means to worship. We take this very seriously. And so we're gonna respond now to the teaching of God's word through celebrating the Lord's table together. And so I wanna encourage you, go ahead and pull out your communion elements and you can start peeling back that first layer to get to the wafer, to get to the bread. The band's gonna come back up because we're gonna sing a little bit more in a moment, but I wanna invite you to celebrate the Lord's table differently this morning than we have done it in the recent past. Typically, the way it works is I lead us and, and I'll walk us through it, and then we'll all eat together kind of you know, in unison, and that's good. But this time, I want us to do it in a way that feels more embodied for us as a community. We also call the Lord's Supper communion. And the word communion points us to two things. Our co-union with Jesus Christ vertically and our co-union with one another horizontally. And so this one simple act of communion is representing both of those. It is a, a, recognizing a unity we have with Jesus Christ and with, with God himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. And it is representing a unity that we have with our fellow brothers and sisters this family of faith that we're a part of. And that's why we do this in community together. And so here's how I want you to do. Go ahead and stand to your feet. And I'm going to put on the screen just a simple phrase that we're going to use this morning. And here's what I want you to do in just a moment. I'm going to say, turn to someone near you. And it could be someone you came in the room with. It could be someone you've never met. But as much as possible, let's try not to leave anyone out of this. And introduce yourself just real briefly. You don't have to have a long conversation, but just introduce yourself. And then I want you all as a, as a couple or a small group or a family or just a small little embodiment of the body of Christ, I want you all to say these words together. You'll say together, the body of Christ broken for you. We'll leave this on the screen. And then you'll eat the bread. And then you'll say that the blood of Christ shed for you. Look each other in the eyes as you say these things and, and eat and drink together as community. I know not all of you are participating in the Lord's Supper, and I know this kind of puts you in an awkward position, and I don't mean to do that. So I want to give you permission. That is okay. No no one's going to think weird of you. You can introduce yourself and, and, and then just stand and, and smile and, and just, just be be a, be a part of this from that posture, and that's great. That's okay. And if you are, if you do have one of the communion elements in your hand, then you'll be drinking and you'll be eating. So go ahead now, introduce yourself, and then say these things together and eat the bread and drink the cup, and then we'll sing.